if you are working on becoming more talented, healthy, reputable, innovative, vision-minded, engaged, or service-oriented, you are in the right place. Those words spell out Thrives, and this is the Thrives Podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Jenkins, the Assistant Vice Chancellor for Leadership and Institutional Development at the University System of Georgia. In each episode, I will talk to a guest about how they are thriving in the USG. In addition to chatting with those in leadership positions around the system, this podcast will spotlight various working groups and departments to give you a broader view of the system. We will dive into what effective leadership looks like and sounds like and explore how each piece of the puzzle you hear fits into our USG. We are all the USG, and our goal is that you continue to learn, develop, and grow through these episodes. Hello, podcast listeners. We have a new episode for you, and you will really enjoy this one. A few things to mention. First of all, this episode with Pat Herndon was recorded last fall, and you will hear that she has since retired. However, the content is just so good. I am confident you will get many nuggets of wisdom and information from what she shares. Also, there are a few small little blips in the audio, but no worries. You should still be able to fully enjoy the conversation. As always, thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Thrives Podcast. I am your host, Wendy Jenkins, and today we have Pat Herndon from the Georgia Public Library Service. She is the Assistant State Librarian and Director of Georgia Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. I cannot wait to hear all about her role. Uh, She's going to tell us all that in just a few minutes, but here's the thing. Pat will be retiring very soon, as in October. So I wanted to make sure that we captured some of her wisdom before she leaves us. So get ready for some great information today about our GPLS colleagues. So hello, Pat. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you for having me. I hope I don't let you down with the wisdom I have to share. I have a feeling that not even possible that you are going to give us a lot of great information. So I'm just I'm just interested. Pat, one thing I didn't mention to you in our as we sort of, um, you know, all of our pre recording conversation is that I have a few years of experience as a media specialist in the K-12. So I was a uh, media specialist at a local high school here in Columbus before I moved into the higher ed realm. And so I am an avid reader. And anytime I see the word library, my ears and eyes perk up. So I am particularly interested in what you do. So so can you tell us a little bit more about you and your GPLS role and the background? What does it mean to be assistant state librarian and director of this amazing program? Okay. Well, I started as director of Georgia's Talking Book Library in 2013. That is a department at Georgia Public Library Service. Our role as the what we now are calling Georgia Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled is to make sure that anybody who lives in Georgia has access to reading materials in formats that will work for them if they are blind, low vision, or have a physical disability that prevents them from being able to pick up a book and turn the page. 
a lot is done in schools to keep people reading, but when people rely on community-based services, they're adults, they're no longer being served by the school systems, how are they gonna get these materials? Um, the program was started in 1931. Georgia was one of the charter members of the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled network of libraries across the entire United States, including Guam and the Virgin Islands. So we've been in Georgia for a long time, and though our mission has stayed the same, technology has really bumped us along year after year. And in the last, I would say, three years, some of the changes have been so dramatic that it changed everything about our workplace and everything about the daily routines we do to get books into the hands of people who need digital content, audiobooks, digital braille, and we also make arrangements with the state of Utah to provide embossed braille regular braille that's in huge books and takes a lot of room to store. We contract with the state of Utah to provide that service for people in Georgia. So that's my main role and how I spend most of my time. But I also, after we did the comprehensive administrative review a few years ago here at the um, USG, I was also given the role of assistant state librarian. I am the administrative supervisor of the continuing education department and their strategic partnerships. Those departments do a lot to take care of themselves, but I'm the voice at the table when it comes time for us to look at the agency as a whole and our allocation of resources. So that's the voice that I have in that role. Wow, that that is a lot. I, I, I was trying to make some notes and that that is a, a load to carry, Pat. So I am um, and, and just the nuggets that you gave us there, like Georgia being a charter member in 1931. And we're going to talk in a few minutes about the dramatic changes. So we'll, we'll come back to that. But then also this on top of all of that, you've got continuing ed and these partnerships. This is this is amazing. So what is all of that taught you about leadership? What would you say you have learned over the years about leadership? Well, also that is a great question in light of the fact of the many challenges that our agencies encountered in the last few years. When I was, when I first started in 2013, I was director of a program that was very expensive to operate and it was a bit unwieldy. We had a lot of what we called sub-regional libraries that met the needs of individuals in the community. Yet, when I came on, we had already consolidated lending. There was one lending point that was lending 90% of the materials and that was the Atlanta office mm -hmm. that I was in charge of. We had a warehouse facility down at the Georgia Archives building. But when I came on in 2013, there had already been an outside consultant's report that was recommending that the statewide service be consolidated, that the roles would be better for the service to come from one centralized point. But if we had any contact locally, it should just be to get out in the community and tell people about the service. So I've spent the last eight years working towards that goal. And in the midst of all this, we had to figure out how to navigate change and continue providing services during a pandemic. Right. Also, I mentioned that the technology changed. There was a significant change in technology. We used to have a system 
where the Library of Congress's program is the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. They provide our content. They used to send us hundreds, thousands a year of little digital cartridges, and we had to keep them in a warehouse like a library does. We kept them on a shelf. We kept them in a numerical order system. And when somebody ordered a book, somebody had to go to a shelf and pull that book. Those days are behind us. Mm -hmm. And we had to adapt to that change very, very quickly. We were one of the first big network libraries across the country that uses a particular library catalog software that we use to adopt this. So we became kind of trailblazers of of a sort as we adapted to our using our catalog system that we were used to, but delivering the service different. Now what happens is we no longer have to keep a big warehouse of books. It is gone. What we have is a huge digital storage device with multiple terabytes of storage on it. It is synced with the National Library's collection every night. So we've got a local copy of every book that is in audio or digital braille format at the net from the national program. We no longer have a set of student employees to pull and sh- reshelf books. What we have now are three people that every morning go in and load up basically a digital copier. They plug in blank cartridges that have come in the day before the thing the unit that we were given um, with hardware from the national program can duplicate 40 digital cartridges that have up to 10 books per cartridge, and that can be adapted to the preferences of the user. And so we'll mail out one cartridge. When that cartridge comes in, it does have to be scanned in as, hey, I'm back, but it Mm -hmm. does not have to be reshelved in any order. It can literally be tossed into a bin, ready to use the next day. So that's a huge, huge change. So in the last three years, we went from being an 11,000 square foot vault down at the Georgia Archives building to being in a corner office at the Georgia Public Library Services. That's just for our lending. We also have a central library that's um, where people answer the phone and actually talk to our customers. Walk-in service, we provide library programs just like any other library does, but we do focus on the needs and the interests of people typically who are vision impaired or have other problems accessing books. So we do peer support meetings, we do iPhone training, we do, during normal times, we teach keyboarding for um, people who've lost their vision but didn't know how to type on a computer keyboard. So we've got a lot going on. You sure do. I I think I could listen to this all day, Pat, like the process (laughs) behind the scenes with the cartridges and the uploading and the, I mean, if this were a visual the situation we're in right now, my, my jaw just dropped at all of this. <laughs> well, at, it, it, at how it has been, it has been a lot in my leadership journey has been keeping everybody focused on what it is that we do uh, and trying to keep okay. a team of people encouraged through significant changes and not dropping the ball on what in the last three years has felt like a million details. And I'm proud to say that after eight years, our program is fully consolidated and we're fully functioning under the new technology. And we're running the program on a budget now that is near or less what it was when I started eight years ago. Amazing. That, I mean, that is, that's a legacy for you, right? I mean, that is certainly something to be 
tremendously proud of. Yeah, and I love the fact that you said it's a million details. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I actually wrote up some of my notes for this, and I wrote a million details, and then I wrote feels like a million details. <laughs> yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yes, I hear that. And so it sounds like in all of that, in the past eight years, you've gone through some some pretty major moves, definitely some reorganization, procedural changes involving all of this new technology. So. What did those particular challenges teach you about your leadership? Well, my personal approach is that I believe in teamwork, and I believe that a team will always have the people that have varying interests, talents, and abilities. And then I kind of start thinking like a baseball coach. You put the right player in the right position. The whole team needs to understand the goals of what we're trying to accomplish. Every member needs to learn how they can best participate to affect the needed changes and meet the goals. So, and my role as Georgia Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled, customer service, and that's serving Georgia's blind, low vision, and print disabled readers is our goal. We want happy customers. They're getting the books and magazines they want when they want them. We want enrollment for new patrons to be as simple as possible, but we operate within constraints from our national programs policies. And in my leadership role, I feel it's my duty to keep my team informed and to keep them focused on the overall goal amidst some level of unavoidable disruption that comes with part of being a public agency. That's part of it as well. In my broader role as one of the assistant state librarians, I do my best to keep the directors who report to me both informed and heard. And then I work with the GPLS leadership team to help allocate resources across the variety of programs and services that our entire agency provides. So even though I'm so devoted to the Talking Book Library, there's other things going on and I always have to remember that as well. And know that we're always working within the greater constraints of being part of the university system of Georgia. Right. I love that concept of feeling like a like that personal approach is feeling like a baseball coach the right player in the right position and then as you navigate those challenges like if you've got that team in place it can make things a little bit easier for you in a in a leadership position um maybe easier is not the right word but i don't know maybe everybody can uh you, you know you've got your team and and they're they're thriving to use the the word that I love so much. So, and Pat, let me just stop here and say what I love about this whole conversation is because books are so important to me. And I think they're going, many of our listeners probably feel the same way, not having access to be able to read for me would be so, it would be like a part of me is taken away. So I just love the fact that this, that you just said, like, we're going to go back to why we do what we do. We are going to provide resources for the blind and print disabled so that they can have access. I just, it's just amazing. Well, that is what we do. And that's what's so important. And anybody who's ever worked in the talking library program across Georgia or across the United States, they are so used to hearing back from their customers, just how important our service is to them. Mm-hmm basically to their mental health. A lot of people, a lot of disability is age acquired. So people have been living a life, you know, that they were raised to lay, to mm-hmm. lead like 
reading every day, staying up on their favorite magazines, mm-hmm. participating in book clubs, talking about mm-hmm. the same books that all their friends are reading. And when they lose their vision or their ability to hold a book, that can be just life changing in a very bad mm-hmm. way. So if we can mm-hmm. get the word out to people that this resources there, we're free. We're we're a lending library. We're just a part of the public library system. So but people don't know about us because you're not going to know about us if you didn't need us before. Right. Right. But like I said, yeah. since most disability is age acquired, you're going to grow into mm-hmm. needs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. I always say, and I feel kind of silly saying this sometimes, but I'm a better person when I'm reading fiction. Again, like you're saying to lose that if I'm already so adjusted to that, I mean, my husband will tell you, I'm just kind of happier if I've got a good book to read. I I don't, I'm sure there may be some research out there that will connect that for me, but to lose that would be devastating. And so to know, I love that you're, that our listeners are going to get to hear that that's, this is available. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of awestruck. So you share some of your wisdom on managing staff that require accessible accommodations and designing an accessible workspace. What what have you experienced there? Well, again, this is a question I really appreciate you asking, but my answer is very short. The answer Mm -hmm. is just do it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a legal obligation to offer an accessible workplace and to offer accessible services in a public setting. I continue to be stunned by people who run agencies that have missed learning that fact. I spent a good bit of my day on Thursday of last week reviewing the inadequacy of a new software program that's essential to the function of my library program. It's computer software and the law that governs accessibility of computer software for use in federal government agencies was passed in 1973. Wow. 1973. Okay. And we're still having problems. Wow. So it's it's a continuing battle. A lot has mm-hmm. been said um, in that we all get now that, that, you know, a building needs to be a building that someone in a wheelchair can get into. There need to be parking spaces, et cetera. But what the focus is now is that computers, websites, software interfaces also need to be accessible to people who can't interact with the computer using their eyes and some people listening. So, and technology is there to help with this, but people that design the technology really, really need to be paying attention to this. There's a big impetus to make sure this happens. And one of the most quotable quotes I had was that a software developer has no obligation to build accessible software, but a government agency that is purchasing that software has a legal obligation to purchase mm. accessible software. So mm. that's a it's it's a huge problem that we deal with a little bit every day. And my other advice would be that an essential piece of wisdom is that people with disabilities can do their jobs if they've got the proper accommodations. There are entire agencies devoted to helping people with disabilities learn to make use of accommodations. And what's often missing is the employer being willing to consider hiring someone with a disability or making an accommodation for someone who becomes disabled. And Mm -hmm. I do think that this is changing. 
Um, okay. Technology is making it a lot easier to provide accommodations for people. But just an example, in the past year, four different people have approached me for my advice on speech to text software. This is people who somebody had had an injury to their arm. Um, somebody was going to be having surgery. These little things. And oh, wow. people reach out to me because I don't put myself out as an expert on accessibility options, but I keep my ear to the ground. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. can point people to the true experts, some of which are at USG, um, the Center for Inclusive Design and Innovation over at Georgia Tech. They are a fantastic resource and they offer Georgia's Tools for Life. We consider them one of our partner agencies. We work with them on a lot of projects. Um, Technology's okay. out there. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution, but the real solution is a willingness to work together and find what works for the individual. And so I just can't end without saying this out loud. Anybody who's creating any kind of computer in, interface, and that could mm-hmm. be an online teaching module. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It could be a web page. It could mm-hmm. be an online document. Please make use of effective design techniques to make the document accessible to people who have low vision, blindness, or even hearing impairment. There's some really cool functions in learning tools, such as quizzes with drop and drag elements that people with a screen reader are going to have a great deal of difficulty using. Um, mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. that are making a website and don't put a tag alt text for an image they're mm-hmm. making that image mean nothing to someone mm. without um, that can't see. But if you say, lady, standing in front of sign that says, you know, it just takes uh-huh. a few minutes of tagging an, an image. Right. And it sounds difficult until you just decide to change your practice, test your documents, mm-hmm. and test interfaces with someone who actually uses a screen reader. Mm. Um, to navigate the computer. Once you just get it in your head, yes, these people are here because mm-hmm. they definitely are. You're you're pinging my brain, Pat, in a good way because as a um, instructional designer and and someone who delivers content quite often, it's a gap for me. You know what I mean? It's something that I need to tap into our resources and make sure that I've got everything in place for my audience. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you because that was you read my mind. My next question was, where can we go for help? But I love that you gave us some resources. And and like you said, you're an ear to the ground and we can always maybe tap into your department, even tire to maybe get a direction. Would that be a good way to word that? I think that's fair. And that's one of my roles um, with Georgia Public Library Service, library directors and public libraries across the state no, they can at least ask us the starting point for answers to questions like this. Perfect. Awesome. Okay. I'm I'm really trying to stay focused, Pat, because I could go down so many paths that we would just start having a good old conversation because I've got a ton more questions, but I'm going to, I'm going to stay focused and I'm going to wrap us up here. I just have two last questions. Uh, What would be the message you would want to get out to our listeners? What would you like for them to remember from this podcast episode? Well, the one thing is that when we think about working with people with disabilities and thinking about providing services to people with disabilities, we're really talking about optimizing options for everyone. In the parlance of disabilities rights proponents, we're all just tabs. Most of us are temporarily able-bodied. Wow. It just takes one broken arm and you might not be able to type. 
could you do your job? Mm. Anything can happen to make to anyone that makes it difficult to fully function in society, whether it's visiting a business, getting your education, or as simple as taking a shower. Seriously, there's a lot, but with some planning and forethought, people with disabilities can continue to work, earn their education, and be functioning members of society. So think about, for example, curb cuts. Those were put in place so that people who use wheelchairs could navigate sidewalks. Well, guess what? Everyone who uses a shopping cart or a baby stroller appreciates curb cuts. It turns out they're just a good idea. Absolutely. And another example might be um, captioning while you're watching TV. There are people now who just sit and watch television with the captions on all the time that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily hearing impaired. They just find maybe... Maybe they are slightly hearing impaired and it never occurred to them and realize that captions just help them follow it better. Maybe there's somebody that wants to watch a movie and their you know, roommate doesn't want to listen to the same thing. So they watch the movie and read the captions. There's some things that we think of as, as accessibility tools, but in a way they just make life better for everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those that uses captions, Pat. <laughs> I, I just think I can follow the the plot easier mm-hmm. with the captions on. And so on that note about watching shows and, you know, all this fun talk we've had about, um, at least it's been fun for me to think about reading and that, you know, we all, all the, the accessibility that we have. Because this show is called Thrives, can you share something that is helping you thrive right now? Well, I'd say for me, my peace of mind comes from taking a daily walk. Um, I love looking at the plants, trying to spot the animals that happen to live around my neighborhood. I like to see everything change with the seasons. Mm -hmm. I was thinking yesterday that as I saw some of the trees in the North Georgia mountains are already beginning to show hints of yellow and orange, I found myself thinking, I am a full-grown old woman at this point, and I am amazed every fall when those beautiful green leaves start turning yellow. It's like... (laughs) How does this amaze me every year? It's been happening every year of my life. It never gets old. I love yeah. that. <laughs> and I can thrive sitting on my porch looking at the trees and the birds. And that's what I'm looking forward to do after I retire next month. But I decided I needed to also say I am addicted to the New York Times spelling bee and absolutely addicted. Uh, okay. Okay, Pat. Listen, we've got to talk then. <laughs> I Okay. I love... I do their daily crossword, but I struggle with the spelling bee. What is the catch? What am I missing? Do you just practice it? I just have to find that pangram. If I don't find the pangram within the first couple of minutes, I start feeling Uh like I'm going to have a bad day. So maybe this isn't what makes me thrive, but I literally (laughs) judge the quality of my day on how quickly I found the pangram. Listen, Pat, you're among a company because if I if, if I don't do the crossword puzzle in under 30 seconds, I feel like I'm going to have a bad day. <laughs> we might have to so, reassess if this is truly thriving or not. <laughs> I, you're right. You're right. We may have to kind of go about the drawing board, but it's that little bit of a challenge. I think it, it kind of gets my brain awake in the morning. Mm-hmm. Does that, yep. you know, exactly. I mean, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. 
I know. And and then sometimes they're longer and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to do this in 30 seconds. I don't let my day, you know, depend on it. But I love that you love that spelling bee. Yeah, I just, I'm not great at finding those kind of words, but I want to get better. So maybe I just need to give it an, another chance. Well, Pat, I can't wait to um, celebrate you and your retirement. You've done so much for um, the Georgia Public Library Service and for the University System of Georgia. You um, shared with us just a great mix of history, uh, some facts that I didn't know about, but also just some great leadership lessons and some things to think about to challenge us. And then um, my hopes that is that you know you would be able to take some of those long walks, keep being amazed by the leaves changing um because i just think that's wonderful so thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today we appreciate you and we appreciate you all all you've done for our state and listeners thank you thank you for for listening taking your time to hear more about gpls and about pat herndon watch for another episode of the thrives podcast soon and keep thriving thank you for joining us for this episode of the thrives podcast We hope you have learned something new and had a little fun at the same time. If you have suggestions for a person to interview or a topic you want to hear more about, please email us at usothrives at usg.edu. Episodes will be available whenever you are ready to listen. And until next time, keep thriving.